0: What's going on, everybody? This is Josh McCabe, your host of Overflow Beyond the Music. That is the podcast in which you are listening to at this moment. Happy 2020. It's a brand new year, and it's a brand new episode of this podcast to kick off 2020. And uh, I had the chance to catch up with John Mark McMillan, who's our guest today. And uh, you will love this interview. Him and I could have gone on for hours. We just had Such a great conversation. It's such a good time talking and getting to know some of his story. I know you're going to love it. But I have to say this because I say it every episode. Make sure that you are following us online. You're going to want to follow us on. Instagram, it's at OverflowBTM, Twitter at Overflow BTM, and guess what? On Facebook, it's OverflowBTM as well. You can also find us on YouTube. We're posting clips up there. Make sure that you are giving us a follow because we would love to hear from you and love to stay connected when we have new episodes coming out, just like this new one today. So I'm not gonna waste any time. I think it's really important to give a lot of time for the interview for the guests to say what they want to say. So we're going to get right into it. This is my conversation with John Mark McMillan. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're
1: never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. Never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let Never gonna let me down. Sing it with us.
0: All right, everybody, it's my first podcast episode here of 2020. This is Overflow Beyond the Music. I'm your host Josh McCabe, and to kick off 2020, coming in hot on this podcast, we've got John Mark McMillan. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing great. I am doing great. Wow, thanks for making me the first one this year well you know i'm I'm stoked to have you we had we had tried to get something going in the you know i guess before the new year and back in twenty back in twenty nineteen so I guess you yep. could you could say this is like a year in the making I know
1: last year was one of those funny years. I thought I had a lot of time on my hands, and then I didn't <laughs> you know I started a record I didn't know I was gonna make and right. then um really just to kind of kill some time and then it like turned into a real record i was like i might actually finish this this record might be good i might need to put it out so then we
0: kind of went into like you know go mode so is that is that typically your workflow like oops i think i'm making a record
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah a little bit not oops i'm making a record as much as like oh wait i actually do like the songs that i'm writing maybe i should put them out
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know. well, well, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, like, maybe, yeah, sure. maybe that's just a good place to start. Like, tell me just about the song flow. And it sounds, like, it sounds like you're not someone who sits down and decides, I need to write, you know, 30 songs and scrap 18 of them. Uh, it sounds like you kind of write as you're inspired to write. I pretty much do.
1: And um, most of the time, I'm writing always. Uh, there's definitely seasons when I'm not writing, but I try just about every day to write something, and usually I just collect ideas, and usually they'll be small sketches. And then when um, the the little sketches start to um, make sense or get exciting, then I'll start finishing them. Um, you know, but I'm not good at, and never have been good at sitting down and writing a song in one sitting. That's it happens sometimes, but it's extremely rare. For me to sit down and write a song in one sitting, um, most and honestly, and maybe it's just me and my ADD, but I will generally work on multiple songs at a time. So every morning I'll come in and I'll work on each song for like ten minutes, and so a lot of times songs um, start to land together. And that's when I'm like, "Oh, it's an al- it's album time." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I was going to say like kind of along those those lines when you're when you're writing writing songs, does it does it tend to start with you know, a theme that that comes out in one song and then you sort of chase that theme or when you're putting together a record, you know, how how does that work? Is you know what I mean? Where some people go, "Oh, wow, I didn't realize I was writing Around this theme, or writing for this, uh, because you're someone who who writes some pretty diverse styles of songs. I'd say, I guess, content lyrically, they're they're all sort of around the same lines, all pointing towards who you are and, and what's going on in your head and your heart. But but I guess the the way that they play out and the places in which they shine can be pretty different.
1: Yeah, totally. I I don't know. I mean, as far as the like per album. Album to album, I think that um, I don't usually have, pick a theme and write towards the theme, but a lot of times I'll start to see this theme surfacing in a number of songs, and then I think I'll start moving in that direction. Um, as As far as the, like, they can be different song to song. I think I just get bored, you know, and I start writing with different sounds and things. Right, right. You know, I do think we try to make songs work you know, I don't I don't like to have an album with I I want it to feel like a record, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like one cohesive record, you know. But I do think if you listen to the records the there will be one theme that usually carries throughout all the songs. Yeah. You know, but usually cuz they're all written in the same time period and they'll cuz sometimes I write a song and I have a great idea that doesn't work for that song. Mm-hmm. i be like, this idea rules. We'll be like, oh, this song just gave birth to another song. You know, it's like the gremlins, and you pour water on them. <laughs> you know, and that's what the, I start. I never just start writing one song. Like one song always turns into multiple songs. Well,
0: that's a good way to think about it because I think you're right. We we've maybe succumbed in some ways as. Artists or musicians to the pressure of constantly delivering material, so that you're all that your brain and and it's not being that your brain's all over the place and there's not a cohesive thought. Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking back to this like the the idea of the record and and it's like I've just started buying vinyls not because it's cool to do, but it forces me to really dive into a record and and not let my ADD get the best of me, mm-hmm. which is tough. Totally, which is tough. It is. And, you know,
1: the other thing, like, uh, there's, I, I love and hate the way music is consumed right now. Yeah, So break that down. First of all, yeah, yeah. First of all, what I love about it is I think I, I'm so excited for what the future of music is going to be like, hmm. you know, because my kids are growing up with every song. I mean, there are songs that are not there that you have to hunt down and people don't realize that you know i have friends sending me youtube links to stuff that's just not anywhere which is but for the most part though like i don't know how old you are but when i was growing up like i like i want to listen to jazz i've never really listened to jazz i hear it on the radio sometimes so someone told me all right you need to listen to miles davis so i go to the store and i'm like all right i gotta pick out a miles davis record yep. and so I, I called some friends they're like um kind of blue no that's that what uh, uh what what is the miles davis record is it kind of blue it's something about blue yeah yeah uh, there's a nick drake record called kind of blue anyway but it's something about blue and um it's got the songs you hear on npr all the time and and they told me that so i, I went and i paid my 17 dollars i bought that one album and my entire knowledge of jazz was that one 18 album yeah that i had in my hands so my kids now listen to everything you know, like they're growing up. There are no genres, really. Genre is more of like a direction for them. And they, they've, they're they, growing up. They've heard more music by 11 years old than I heard by the time I was 30. Right. You know, because they have access. So I'm real excited in that way for what music is going to be like. Yeah. Cause kids, you know, young people have access to so much. There's so much material to pull from, you know. And I think that's beautiful. I, I think the negative, though, Is that um, sometimes, you know, like, uh, and the algorithms make it even worse, but, you know, like, sometimes, like, if you give people too much of what they want immediately, they never realize there's something better, you know, kind of like candy versus a steak, right? You know, like, it's sort of like, yeah, if you put sugar on my tongue, my brain is gonna say, yes, I want more, I want more, I want more. The first time I taste salt, I don't know that it's the same, you know, but you know, I'm glad I ate the first steak I ever ate, you know, because now, now I know that I love it and I would rather have steak than a candy cane. Yeah. But if you just gave it to me in these tiny little pieces, my brain would think that I would rather have a Jolly Rancher than a salmon. <laughs> you right, know what right, I mean? Right. Or like, and it's the same with music. So, like, the thing with albums is it makes you listen to songs that you don't necessarily like immediately. Or you don't know that you like and even psychologically so i used to work with radio promoters and they used to say listen a person doesn't even know they've heard a song until they've heard it like seven or eleven times they don't right. even know they've heard it you know and so that would be the negative side of the way people consume music now is they're not sort of forced to listen to a song enough to know whether or not they even like the song so if they dislike yeah, not it, from forced the... to sit with it exactly because you know, like some of my favorite songs and artists were not artists and songs that I loved immediately, and those are some of the most important songs to me because some of the more complex things are things you have to sit with for a little bit. Yeah. And if you are not forced to sit with it, you know, you just listen to Old Town Road over and over <laughs> and over again. You know what I mean? Well,
0: I said that I said this about a record, and I can't I can't for the life of me remember what record it was, Um but it was. My wife was like, Hey, I was so excited it was coming out and I listened to it. My wife goes, Did you like it? I go, No. But actually that's a good <laughs> sign. Because they're feeding yeah. me something that's different that I don't know yeah. if I like yet. And yet like don't you find that normally when you listen to a record the first time you go, I don't think I like this. What the heck? And then Before you know, if you give it time, you're in, you start going, This is my favorite. Yeah, totally. I just, I needed time to adjust my expectations. Absolutely. And so many of my favorite artists are not artists I liked immediately. It
1: took me a little bit because it is, it does take some adjustment. You have to sort of clear a part of your brain to like make place for this artist. But if you never do that,
0: you just listen to the same thing over and over again, you know? Dude, you just set me up beautifully for where I wanted to go. <laughs> so um, I'm like, this is awesome, awesome. Because uh, I want to tell the story of just kind of finding your music, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, I had, I was, uh, I'm 32, and I was running some worship events back in Canada. we used to have, you know, guests through all the time. That's where I met Ben Chris from Glorious Unseen, and we'd have, um, and he's the one who connected me with you, and just we would have guests up all the time, and. I had heard your song um, "How He Loves," and if you, people don't know the story, just YouTube it. It's there. It's everywhere. <laughs> you'll find it. We don't need to get into that today. But I'd heard that song, and it was—I was so moved by by the worshipful nature of it. And then um, maybe I forget. It was a booking agent you were working with at the time asked if I was interested in having you come, and I said, "Of course." And so I dove into your record, "The Medicine," and I'm like, "Wait, wait, what is that?" What hold on, this is not what I expected when I'm thinking my first lens in the John Mark McMillan is this song, How He Loves, that was performed by somebody else. <laughs> and, and so like, but giving time, I became such a fan of of what your music was, the lyrics, the sounds, the guitar playing, the all of that stuff. And so tell me just a little bit about your journey into making records. I, I believe, you know, I'm not sure if there's records before The Medicine, I'm sure there are, but that was my sort of first, first journey into that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, John Mark McMillan before everybody else worldwide was starting to connect with your music. Yes. Okay. How far back you want to go?
1: Let's go. All right. So... Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. I, I didn't really grow up in a musical family... But I loved music, and when I was in you know junior high and high school, I battled depression pretty heavily. It was the '90s, so it was in style. You know, it was right, hip. it was right. hip to be depressed. Kurt Cobain, I lo- exactly, and I loved all of that kind of heavy music. I think when I was younger, I grew up listening. I grew up listening to more, um, you know, R and B and hip hop, and especially like radio right. pop, that kind of stuff. And then as soon as sort of junior high hit, it was all like just super heavy music you know but i always loved it i always really loved it and i always sort of imagined doing it you know Mm. i i ended up my parents were probably worried about me in my teenage years and so they knew i liked music and they um they would uh so my my dad had a church a store little storefront church and and he knew i liked the musicians they were a bunch of uh really cool older hippie guys you know from the 60s and 70s you know so they grew up playing like all the like um Eric Clapton and the Beatles and, um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And so I, and so my parents loved that I liked that, and they would encourage me to hang out with these older guys, and they would teach me all those sort of classic rock songs. And that's really when I started playing. And I never really thought I would play worship music, but it was, it was something to do. You know, they let me play along with the band, and I wasn't very good, but I liked, <laughs> you know, the connection, you know. Right. And then there was a moment... And I say a moment, but really it was sort of like a season when I just sort of decided like, I don't like, um, the person that I'm becoming. And I mean this, I was really young, so this is a really big thought to have in like high school and junior high. I was like, I really don't like the person I'm becoming, um, you know, and I don't like who the world is telling me I'm supposed to be, um. And I think I want to try to be somebody else. I think I'm going to try to do this God thing. I also think girls were involved because there were <laughs> girls they were girls at church and they were nice. They were nice. They weren't mean, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of my friends were church guys. So it's like, I'm just try this <laughs> Jesus thing, which, you know, being a pastor's kid, I think you don't feel like you have a choice. So you immediately just say no. You know, I was like, no, I'm not going to do the Christian thing. I'm not going to do the Jesus thing because it's expected of me. And that's a little bit of my personality anyway. Anything that's sort of expected of me, my first reaction is to push back a little bit. I resonate with that. You know, and so, um, yeah, but I'd made this decision. It's like, you know, (laughs) like this is going to hurt my pride, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to do this. And what's really interesting, I never had this, like, I guess I had these different moments I could talk about, but really I just felt like, oh, wow, all this stress that I've been dealing with, like, my life hasn't changed much, but I feel much more capable of dealing with my day-to-day issues, you know? And it was sort of like, um, it wasn't a massive revelation or anything, you know? And so I was like, okay, okay. Now what am I gonna do? And I was like, well, first of all, I gotta find some music I can listen to, you know. I gotta, you know, I gotta find some, you know. And so, I um, did
0: did you consult one of those uh, one of those posters that says if you like uh, Green Day, you will like Oh, uh, definitely. (laughs) Yes,
1: we used to love and laugh at those posters. (laughs) No, they're so funny. (laughs) But yeah, so you know, first of all, you know. The music, I mean, I wasn't trying to trade in my old music for new music. But yeah. as far as worship goes, I wanted um, I wanted to connect and had such a difficult time connecting in worship. And then um, a friend of mine introduced me to Delirious, the band Delirious. Yes,
0: yes, yes. And
1: um, they went to this conference up in Canada. And they didn't take me, by the way. Looking back, I was kind of a high-maintenance friend i think at that moment is this
0: at the airport at the airport it was yeah
1: it Uh, was i was literally just there two days ago oh man i i wanted to be there my whole life because i wasn't invited and they came back with delirious tapes delirious tapes. who is this band and they all told me about how much fun they had and they played me the delirious at first i didn't connect with the delirious thing because remember i was into the much more aggressive yeah yeah kind of thing you know and martin like i love that he sings with an english accent as most british artists change their accent when they sing right you know or they they tend to lose it i at first i had a hard time connecting you know but but it's sort of like we we were talking about before but over time as i started listening to it's like i just had these moments in the car i would drive around and listen to delirious in my car and sometimes late at night when i was in my sort of depression zone i would um because that's what i used to do i used to wake up in the middle of the night and go drive right and i would put the delirious cd in and i would sing along and you know i would rotate between delirious and bob marley and like the braveheart soundtrack <laughs> Epic, <yeah. laughs> you know and um and so i was gonna go to college and i did not know what i wanted to do The funny thing is I wanted to do music and I didn't think for a second that I could have done it right because I really didn't start singing probably until I was in my early 20s I really didn't start playing the guitar until I was like in my late teens and even then I just wanted to be in a band like just wanted to be in one right you know so I played in rock bands around town just to be there I really just wanted to like play big chords and meet girls and be cool You know that was back when being in a band was the coolest thing you could possibly do well
0: that used to be that was around the time when people used to you know you'd go to a show you didn't even know who was playing but it was a show and everyone's going exactly i loved that i
1: loved that i went to so many shows like that you just see like where are people going well people are walking into this bar you know and we had a place in town that was like so dirty And it was literally like a Waffle House meets like a dive bar. Amazing. You know, and they had a little Waffle House bar and, you know, and and I think the outside was like this patio. It wasn't even a patio. It was where an old building used to be that had been, you know, that had collapsed and they cleared it and they put a bunch of couches, you know, like outdoor couches. I don't think they do outdoor couches anymore like we did (laughs) back in the day, you know, disgusting. But we thought it was incredible. Yeah. Man, I I loved it. I loved
0: those days. I mi- I miss it though too, because I feel like it's I feel like it's killed a little bit of uh, people honing their craft. And I feel I like back in the day, you used to be able to go and and there's like you could go to a bar and see a bunch of rock bands, or like there would be some church basement thrown on a show, and you know it yeah. wasn't necessarily all faith bands. And you would get like a singer songwriter, mm-hmm. and then like a metal band, and then and you know like my, I'm probably talking about the generation after, but. You know, I feel I feel like I do miss some of that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I do too. I mean, I miss the community vibe too because yeah. when it was ha- when it was happening, it was that was the only time you got to have it. Was when it was happening. In that moment, you didn't get to listen to the song beforehand. You didn't get to watch anyone's Instagram feed. You didn't get to film the cool moments. You didn't get to go listen to it later and and unless they had a CD they were selling that night, you might never ever ever hear that band again in your life like you may
0: never hear them again there were so many bands like that And even if you bought the cd like most people couldn't afford a proper good recording so you're kind of underwhelmed by the cd and going i just want to see them live again and so like that was those were beautiful moments and so yeah
1: that's why you wanted to be in a band you know, you want to be part of that. You wanted to be one of the people making those moments happen for people. Mm-hmm. And you That's wanted cool. to hang out with girls <laughs> later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I just wanna usually want to be accepted. I wasn't good at sports, so I wanted to be in a band. You know. But so but I think I, I was um I was gonna go to college and at the last minute, I was like, "I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know I'm going to go to college." The army guy called and tried really hard to get me to join the army, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me! Right. I'm not. I'm not military. I love military people. I'm not one of them. I'm. I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm like you don't want me. Yeah. You know, like then the guy came and tried to sell me a, you know, college tuition. Um, you know the uh uh college debt, and yeah. I was just like, I feel I don't want to sign up." I don't even really know what I want to do. I was going to go to school and study music, even though I was like, um, you know, I had no background. Very little background. I did play the saxophone in junior high, but very little background in music. And um, at the last minute, I was like, I think I want to go to ministry school. And my parents were like, what? I was like, yeah, I think I want to go to ministry school. Mm. And so I went to this ministry school, and... um, it's where I met, at this ministry school, so I met Jonathan and Melissa Helser, oh, yeah. I met Josh Baldwin at this ministry school, um, it's so funny how many people have come out of that, that, that I met all back, you know, in those days, but um, anyway, and at the ministry school, if, and of course I wanted to be involved in the music, because all the cool people were involved in the music, yeah. And, you know, and so they said, "You have to write your own songs if you want to be on the worship team." Wow. and so I started writing songs, and I wasn't much of a singer, you know, but I could write I could you know, but I tried to write, and I figured, you know, if I wrote good songs, then maybe people wouldn't notice that I can't sing. <laughs> you know so anyway the this ministry did a bunch of big conferences um, and one of the main guys heard me in the hall no, 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 no. I was playing in the kids' ministry. The only place they would let me lead worship was in the kids' amazing, ministry. Amazing, amazing. And I was like, well, I will play in the kids' ministry, and I'll work my way up to the big ministry so that, you know. Um, I mean, I had a, I think I, my I, I had some pure intentions, too. It wasn't all about getting a leg up, but, you know, I was young. Like, I just wanted to be cool and accepted, and you know, I thought this is my passion.
0: There's a natural drive when there's a gift and it's God given. Yeah. You want to steward it, definitely. and you want to see it grow. And I, I kind of yeah. think there's nothing wrong with with feeling that you want to maximize the potential of this passion you have. You know, and it's a good it's a good thing. I think too many people definitely too many people. Um, I think. I think we've lost the the diligence of hard work in, in ministry today because everyone's trying to be falsely yeah. humble. <laughs> I agree. I agree.
1: And you know what? I came to this revelation not long ago because I've, I've grown up, I've known so many pastors and leaders, you know, I've grown up with their kids I, and now their kids are pastors and leaders too. Yeah. You know, like pastors and leaders are always talking about selfish ambition and I realized not long ago, I was like, oh... It's because that's their thing. Like, they all, like, have selfish ambition. So that's the thing you always talk about. That's what they... I'm I'm saying that's what they deal with. But some people, like, need a little bit of get up and go. Yeah. You know, a little bit of good ambition is probably not bad. And the false humility thing is really hilarious. I love... I love comparing... Because I've been in the rock and roll world and the worship world. Yeah. And I love some of the differences, you know? Like... In the worship world, people pretend not to be ambitious, but they secretly are. Yeah. You know, in the rock and roll world, they just are. And so I kind of prefer, like, in the rock and roll world, when you play at a club, the guy's going to be a jerk to you, but you know exactly where he stands. A lot of times in
0: church, you're like, I'm not sure if we're cool or not. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, I was saying this to my wife the other day. She's like... Sometimes, you know, if I've got some time, I'll go do some like country cover gigs or whatever. And, you know, you you, you play your your classics, you play a couple Stapleton, and, you know, you play a couple of the songs that you grittingly play, like the Kid Rock all summer long deal and whatever. (laughs) But I go, it's just a different kind of fun because I can finish and go, I slayed it and I was freaking (laughs) awesome. And everyone else thought I was awesome. And it was like oddly fulfilling for a moment to be like, Man, other people like this gift I have. Yeah. And the I hard know. work I've put into it. And I kinda go, Is it is it really that bad to get off stage and go, Man, we slayed it. We took what the Lord gave us, maximized its yep. potential, and we sounded great. But I know. Or I don't know. Yeah, What's all yeah, of or- that? <laughs>
1: No. Or like I sometimes, and I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm getting, I'm not, not that I'm old, but I'm in my four. I'm, I just turned 40. I feel a little bit old, but (laughs) not that I don't feel old. I just, you know, I've been in the worship thing for a little bit or I did it for a while. We can talk about that later. I did it and then I didn't do it. And then I don't know what I'm doing, but we can talk about that later. But I, sometimes I want to walk up to worship leaders and worship bands and just like kind of like tap them on the back of the head and be like, look at the other people you're playing with. Like, you don't have to ignore each other to worship. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like God, see that drummer. God created him. He's awesome. Look at how he's smiling right now. Smile back at him. That's some fun. You know what I mean. Like, I know exactly. Like, we're, you don't you don't have to be a show off. You know what I mean. But like, notice that there's other people on the stage. Like, open your eyes and look at the people around you because like God is doing something with them. Like, go up and like push on the guitar player. Like, go like. Kick a mic stand down because it's because <laughs> you know because you love each other. Well, you know it's, what I mean? it's like, the
0: same kind of thing where you go. You know, if I was to go, I've accomplished this. I did this. I got yeah these things. You you instinct like anyone who's a decent human being. You honestly go well. Yes, if you really ask me, God, God did all those things and use me as a vessel. Yes, we know that. Like we <laughs> or like you can say to a worship yeah. leader, like, oh man, worship was so good. The band was so good well, yes, obviously we know it was all about giving glory to God, but that's the basic. We're, if we didn't have that as a foundation, you'd be <laughs> a complete jerk and not on the team. But it's like, oh man, it's like we feel like we have to over-explain ourselves and it's. I think it's taken the joy out of, or I guess the fun out of yeah. out of being part of worship.
1: Yeah, totally, I think so. I, just, I hate, I think one of my big pet peeves and it's not, it's not a judgment against any particular person. It's more just a culture. But I hate when I go to a big like, worship event and there's this massive production, which I'm not against, but there's yeah. this massive production and there's a bunch of people on the stage and they all look like they're alone.
0: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: I hate it. It kills me. I see all these pictures. Because like, if you're Bono or if you're Chris Martin, you use the production to, to clear the gap between you and the people. Right, because the venues are playing are so big, you know. If you if to get closer to every person, you need that production. I feel like in worship sometimes, though, the production we use the production to like distance ourselves from everybody else. Mm. You know, like so. I'm not anti-production at all. I just I'm just all about people not pretending they're all alone on the stage. You know, like yeah, you know that bums me out. But yep. anyway, back to the kids. I was in the kids oh, ministry, yeah, yeah. trying to work my way up the ladder, you know. Which I learned so much in the kids ministry, and I'm looking back like the the guy, it's a friend of mine. I've um, known him forever, who you know saw me and saw a terrible musician, <laughs> you know, with a good heart, and thought, "I'm going to bring you in and play with me," you know. And so many people that he used went on to do really awesome things i don't think i ever would have if he hadn't brought me in but there's a bunch of nashville guys playing in the big band and they walked by the kids ministry on their way to wherever they're going they heard me play and they told the worship leaders in the you know in the conference like you gotta hear this guy's song and so the first time i ever really played in front of a group of people yeah, One of the very first times I ever played in front of a group of people, I played my original song in front of like 6,000 people. Wow. Having never played at like really even a small church or a medium-sized church, it's like, mm-hmm. so, and not being much of a singer and not knowing how to remember a melody, like, they brought me up to sing. And so I started singing these songs, and people asked me, where can, who? where's that song from? And I was like, well, I wrote it. And they're like, well, do you have a CD? I want to hear it again. You know, they want to take it home. And, um, and I didn't, you know, and after a while I thought, well, I really need to make an album so that people can listen to these songs. You know? So it's like total, the, it's like complete opposite of the way things work for me now. Now I got to write songs and figure out how to make people care. Back then people wanted the songs. It was like supply and demand. I was like, (laughs) oh man, I got to make these songs because people want them. Right, you know, and that's really how it started for me. You know, we started making songs, and um, I started recording, so there were two albums before the medicine um one you can only find <laughs> on the dark web <laughs> oh yes, okay, but it's out there. then so the other one we re-released it was the the song that originally had Howie Loves on it, the record that originally had Howie Loves on it, is out there somewhere. Okay. But I cringe to go back and listen to those records. But What
0: about it makes you cringe?
1: Well, I'm just y- young and not singing very good, and I don't like my lyrics or any of the music. But it's not they're, that they're bad. It's just, you know, it's like looking at baby pictures or hearing, you know, like...
0: That you know, I've just grown. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always hard for me to. It's always hard for me to go back. Tell tell me a little bit about some ways that that you feel like you've grown since those those early days, or since you know, singing those songs for the first time and and having people hear them and resonate with them. How how have you changed since then?
1: Well, man, I've changed a
0: bunch. So that was
1: that all happened, you know, twenty years ago, but. You know, so we could talk about how I've changed in a number of ways. Musically, if you want to just start there, yeah. I think that I've got a lot more confidence now. I feel like I know how to write a melody now. Back then it was such a shock when I'd like sing words. And like, that sounds good when I sing those. It's <laughs> like, what's going on? And now I'm like, okay, I know it's a melody. Like, I can write a melody and I know when a melody is good. But back then I just sang. You know, we just sing spontaneously until something felt good. And then I'd like remember that yeah, part. yeah. You know, and that would have to be the song, um, and you didn't have your voice memos on your phone everywhere you right. went. So I like sing it. I was like, I swear this was good. I wrote it the other day. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I wasn't very musical, mm. so it's really hard for me. I've become more musical. I still don't consider myself like a musician, but I know a little bit about music, and I know I'm much more confident in writing, writing a melody. Right, right. And I've got a lot of tr- I've got a lot of tricks now to writing songs. I think um I'm I enjoy the craft a lot more now than I did. Back then it was just all like magic. I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just you know, this is a song. I, and it used to take me a year sometimes to finish a song because I didn't know how to go from one part to the next. Maybe know. that's the best place but, to be though.
0: Maybe it's the It was the discovery of discovering something new when you don't actually have a roadmap for how it's you know, it's I've always thought about it this way. It's it's why I find in our lives, God rarely uses the same method twice in our lives because we would make it a method. And we would turn around yep. and start expecting God to always show up that way. Whereas I think the discovery of discovering new roads is, is something interesting uh, when it comes to songwriting. I agree. I totally like agree. It. Yeah. So so tell me just a little bit about like just some of some of the methods uh, that, you know, you just talked about just discovering, not really a knowing how to fully write a song or even what was working, but but now you feel like you've hit a bit of a stride or at least have some experience probably of knowing what has worked and what hasn't. Yep. Well, I think one thing is I learned that you can copy other people and it's good. Mm. You
1: know, like early on, especially like in church, everyone's like, you have to be original, which is really funny how they shout so much about being original in church, but like... The church songs are much more similar to one another than songs outside of church most of the time. Yeah, yeah, right. I think so. You know, not. I mean, I'm I'm not down on. I'm not down on it, but you know, but later on, as I started to study my, all of my heroes copied other people. You know, and I started to realize like becoming a musician, becoming a writer is is like learning how to speak. You know, and in the beginning, you learn how to speak by mimicking other people. And then over time, you start to develop your own voice, you know, but even then, like, you know, like you have a subtle little Canadian thing, you know, even though you're your own person, like, you pick up on the people that you copy, you know, and so like, I realized, like, oh, not only is it okay to copy people, you can choose the people you want to copy, Mm. you know, like, you hear like, Obviously Tom Petty is listening to Bob Dylan and Elvis and obviously Springsteen is listening to Bob Dylan and and Bob Dylan is listening to Woody Guthrie and you know and you you hear this sort of um you hear this thread and and th- and I actually love this about music you know so in a sense like you you don't really create anything from nothing mm. everything you create is really something that came to you in some sort of package And that you've taken, you repackage and you send it on. And I love that idea because it means you're more of a link on a chain. You're more of like a stream, part of a stream, than you are just sort of this independent thing that's sort of existing by yourself. Right. You know, and especially in worship, this is beautiful because this means there really is only one song. Right. You know? Like there you know, there aren't multiple songs. There is one song with a million movements to the song. You know, and that's how it is, music just music in general. Like all music came from somewhere else. You know, I know David Byrne talks about in his book The Way Music Works, he talks about how um you know, we think music we think music comes from the inside out. And creativity comes from the inside out. But really, creativity is the way you respond to the world around you. You know, we were talking earlier about how hard it is to stay focused when you're not in your own space, yeah. your own inspired space. That's because it really does affect you, like, in a literal way. You know, because your creativity is basically you're responding to the world. Hmm. You know, like, birds in San Francisco change their um, the scale that they sing over time. They change the notes or the pitch because as the city grew they had to cut through the noise and so they had to change their sound or they weren't going to meet other birds and make baby birds together right right you know so we're basically the same thing you know as the world is full of noise and you got to figure out how to how to make your song in your day cut through the noise in a way that makes sense to the people out there who need to hear your song you know and so you're just taking the other song and you morph it and it, you put it out there, and then someone else hears it, hopefully, and they take your song and every other song they heard, and they turn it into something else, you know. And then so over time, over you know thousands of years, we see this thing morph. But it's really all one song in a sense, you know what
0: I mean? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think that the reason I started this podcast is that the song I hear is just is just the portion. Like, there's so much more to you than the song that is written. Yeah. And I feel like if if I can understand you better, and your journey better, I can understand the songs that you write better. Yeah, totally. And it'll help me connect with them better. It's a million times like, I, I had never listened to Billie Eilish or you know the big her- craze is her right like now, and everyone's like oh best record ever, and it's obviously yeah, it's pop, and I never if everyone if everyone tells me to listen to something, I'm not going to listen to it just <laughs> I'm because I'm going to be stubborn. Yeah. And But I watched this video with her and her brother breaking down how they did the production of a song. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like on a Rolling Stone thing. Yeah. And I was like, dang, I like this girl's creativity. <laughs> like, I like where her head's at. Yeah. I may not like her music, <laughs> but I'm going to give the record a chance. Mm-hmm. But again, I connected with the personality. I connected with the process. And, and that, to me, helps bring a song to life. Yeah, 100%. I think a song is always uh,
1: sort of a slave to the context, you know? I mean, there are things about a song you might like immediately, you know, but I remember like my wife, she didn't like Springsteen, but she took, she knew he was my favorite and she took me to see him. And she, she liked him at the end of the night. She, you know what I mean? There's the music didn't change. This is, she did, you know, she's like, Oh, I get it. Yeah. But I think, I think all music is like that in a sense. It's like, and that's why like, I don't like, I, I used to be really critical. I think, of music and bands and i've sort of decided like i'm kind of done with that like uh, because it, it i used to you know like i don't say music isn't good or a thing isn't good anymore because really at the end of the day it may just be i don't have the right context i was born at the wrong time or yeah i didn't hear it at the right time or the right way you know yeah and i kind of i kind of think as an if you're going to be an artist like you kind of give up your right to publicly criticize other artists,
0: I think, oh because we well we'll criticize stuff all to get like all the time, and like how many times will like I love it with like especially bands like band bands like rock bands, they'll be sitting mm-hmm. watching the opening band think, these guys suck, and then somebody comes out in a magazine and says their record sucks, and they're really hurt about it they're really offended. <laughs> Um, oh, no. And it's funny too, because I like what you said about maybe you don't have the context or the time period for it. Because you talk about Springsteen, and I've tried, I've tried to get into the boss. <laughs> I've tried, and yeah, you know what? I can throw a record on, and it is what it is. But if I'm yeah. in the car going, I just really want to be inspired and listen to something great right now. I would go to Brian Adams, mm-hmm. yeah, and like that's my context. Yeah. I go, that's someone who really resonates with me. Yep. Yeah. How do you sort of reconcile? and maybe i i want to set it up you know the probably the the most widespread song that has come out recently that you're tied to is king of my heart you and your wife wrote that song together yep. i love the way you performed it on the live record and i'm really not even sure what i'm asking <laughs> other than i'm just wanting to say talk about that song and talk about where how that resonates with you or where it takes you yeah totally so
1: that song is funny cuz um or even like howie loves like I almost didn't put howie loves on the record and my wife is like you got to put that song on the record I was like I don't know it doesn't fit the rest of the record she's like no you borrowed money from my grandmother to make this record so you're going to put that song on the record I was like okay was uh, that you being stubborn <laughs> yeah that was that was but um you know but my wife I, I did the Borderland record I think it was 2000 13, 2014. Um, and at the end of it, um, I wanted to do a project with my wife. We had done things together when we were young. And then after we started having kids, we didn't travel together so much anymore. And we, um, you know, we had a good relationship, but I missed it, you know. And so, mm. and, and honestly, she had written some cool songs and I wanted her to do her songs, but she was really Um, she felt a little bit overwhelmed at the prospect of doing an album on her own so I said okay well tell you what we'll do an album together you write a couple songs I write a couple songs we'll do a couple of your older songs and um, the process took a long time the producer we work with got really distracted and so it only turned into an EP but say I wrote Heart Won't Stop with a little bit with a, a couple of chorus ideas from her from a long long time ago and then she wrote king of my heart and i had this bridge idea that i've been holding on to since borderland though you're never going to let me down and i was like i think this will fit right on the end of your song and so but i didn't really think i didn't dislike king of my heart but i really didn't think much of it at first it was really like a kind of like a hymn and i was a little bit tired of the folk like let's end everything on the one you know what i mean and i was like you know so as we can spice it up a little bit, you know, because it's just super folky and kind of hymn like at first, and um, and so it, you know so we did the we did the EP and we put it out. It came out the day Apple Music launched, and I don't know if you remember when it first you know. So our whole marketing plan, and we're independent, so we do a little marketing plan. We're gonna like help, we're gonna spread the word, do some lyric videos, and buy some yeah, buy yeah. some ads, and do some stuff. Well, so the day it came out, Apple Music launched, and our whole campaign was based around selling singles and a pre-sale, and there's no pre-sale anymore when everything's free. And by free, I mean absolutely free, because you remember, they're like, hey, to get everyone on board, all the music for the first three months is free. I was like, all right, well, I don't even know what to do. So it came out, and it kind of disappeared. I was like, all right, well, I guess we're moving on. Um, Yeah. But we played that song a couple of times. We ended up doing Bethel's Worship You, I think, that year. And, and we played that song live for the first time uh, there, I think. Anyway, and um, and people heard it, and they started playing it. And it was really funny. Then we ended up doing it on the live at the night as well. you know. And so, honestly, it was over time. It's the same thing with Howie He Loves. Like, it wasn't a popular song for eight years or something. You know? And then it's sort of like, it's kind of like that with The King of My Heart. It was several years before people started to play it. And so I think what's interesting is, and I definitely have somewhat of a background in worship music, and I've always pushed back on people. So this gets complicated, I think, mainly because I have two things going on here. The first thing is, I don't like other people defining what is and isn't worship. And so,
0: and that's that's kind of where I was trying to hope to get to yes, without putting words. In your totally. Mouth. <laughs> well, so
1: I don't like I don't like that. I don't like other people defining whats is and isn't isn't worship. So when people ask, "Are you a worship leader or not?" I'm like, "Well, I kind of am." They're like, "All right, well, then aren't you making worship music?" I was like, "Well, not the kind that you're necessarily talking about." And so it gets complicated. So, you know, so I think right. I've complicated it in that sense. Because, but you know, in more sort of conventional language, like I've been. A worship leader but i've really always been more of an artist than a worship leader if you want to separate those two things which which bugs me to do but just for the sake of the conversation you know um and and i think that people what people misunderstand a lot of times is and it's cool i I guess i get this but when something is really successful i guess most people just assume that that is the thing you're most pumped about and that's what you're like doing you know, and so it was funny, like by the time Howie Loves had gotten big, I wasn't even playing that song anymore, you know, and I did a right. bunch of shows where I didn't play that song, and then, after it got big, people were like mad, you know, like right. fans, and I was like, well, I don't want to hurt people's feelings, like I don't hate that song, it's just several years old, you know, and I had kind of moved on, you know, and so I think people like and I think other worship leaders too, and i I'm not saying this to put people down, but I also think sometimes people yeah, yeah. are like. You know, you could make a whole lot of money if you just kept doing that. I was like, well, maybe. Right. I was like, but I love doing this other thing too, you know. So I don't dislike worship music or worship leading. I like doing it, but it's not the like
0: at the top of my list all the time, you know. But and I'd like to explain it that way you know, because I always wondered uh, that must knowing like the depth of your catalog and sort of how it expands. And I like how you said, maybe it's not what you call worship music, but yeah, it, it, must, be, it must be frustrating at times in some ways where that becomes the public widespread vision or you know, lens that people view John Mark McMillan through when really it's such a wider lens, it's just the, it's just the 10% you happen to have heard and seen. No, no, I think it bothered me
1: for a while. And then I realized, like, it's like this other voice said, you realize you are annoyed <laughs> at the fact that a couple things you have done have just been, like, insanely successful. <laughs> yeah. You know? I was like, well, I guess you're right, other voice. Like, I should appreciate the fact that they're super successful. And, you know, I had a friend tell me, hey, you you realize you don't choose your audience, they choose you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know? You can't just get mad. But the thing is, I actually do like worship music. I'm not anti-worship. I like it. You know, like I like doing it. Um, It's just whenever I sit down, like if ever I'm like, I want to connect with God. The songs I write when I connect with God, like just go somewhere else. (laughs) You know? Yeah. They never sound like songs people want to like sing in church or very rarely, you know? And I guess just early on, I was a little bit of um, an idealist. I thought, well, you write worship music by worshiping, not by like writing a song that, you know, people are going to sing. And, you know, and then later on, I was like, no, you you write a worship song by writing a song. People want to sing half the time, you know, but for me, it's all worship in that sense that it all, or most of it comes from that place. I mean, like even like I've tried to do things in more of a general market and a good friend of mine, I've had a sit down with a good friend of mine. He's in a pretty big, general market rock band and he's like man he's like you're one of my favorite writers he's like you realize if you just write more about relationships like you'd be more popular outside of the christian world i was like yeah but i like i'm just obsessed with like god and these existential ideas about where we came from and who we are Mm. you know so maybe one day i will sit down and write more relationships (laughs) relationships you know
0: but I just want what I want to hear what you want to write and that's yeah, yeah. I think that's why people connect with it and yeah. I honestly think that if you try to pursue anything beyond just what you want to write maybe maybe king of my heart doesn't exist maybe how he loves doesn't exist maybe some of the other songs don't exist because yeah. you you don't chase those roads because you're trying to you're trying to you know grit your way through another one and yeah. so just keep flowing I guess is yeah. is the 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 lesson for us yeah. all
1: well, totally, and honestly, I've tried really hard to not think too much about it. Like I actually like the idea of having a worship song on an album with a bunch of non-worship songs, you know, I agree. like I just yeah. think it's cool, like to me, it says something, you know it says it's to me, it says, "Oh, this is real, you know, like in the right. sense that like so most people, most Christians are not professional Christians. You know, they're like, so their worship song needs to exist on their drive to work and when they're in the cubicle or when they're on the laptop or when they're, Mm. you know, like, you know, swinging the hammer or programming or raising the kids like, you know, so like worship is a part of their normal life. Like they don't have the um, convenience to like take a sabbatical year, you know what I mean? Or or to like, they don't have like the prayer room. Then call in the intercessors when they're having a bad day. Like, like worship has to be part of their actual life, and so Mm -hmm. I, I always or always after a while I started to believe it is really cool to have a worship song on a record with non-worship songs because this is much more of an example of what I think a Christian who a Christian is, you know, is the worship exists in with the rest of your life, you know, it's not separate from the rest of your life; it's part of who you are. You know, you're not yeah. one person on Sunday and another person on Monday. You're the same person, you know. Yeah. And so I like the idea that,
0: like, all those things can exist together. I think it's confusing for people, but I well, like it. It's confusing it. for people who whose job is to put things into uh, categories and... And you know what I mean? Like I think, I think we get forced in those categories a little bit because there are, and that's that's what's great about the fact that you're so independent. Is that no one gets to define what you get to release. You could release a uh, a country song about backroads and trucks if you wanted to, and or you could (laughs) release, you know, uh, whatever. Like you could go, you can just do what you want to do. And I think that no matter what, um, you know, you're you're going to be you, and that's. That's what I love and appreciate you about you and why you're why you're on this podcast and why there are some (laughs) successful artists that are not. (laughs) Well, it's taken a long time, I think, for me
1: to be comfortable with who I am. You know. Yeah. And it's a daily conversation I have. It's probably the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. Like, all right, what are you gonna do today? Like I have to do something creative and I have to do something I have to get something done every day. If I do those two things and then have some sort of like you know fun with another human being, you know yeah. then my day is good. It's like I just I need those three things every day, you know, I usually wake up in the morning and be like, "All right, who are you going to be today? Are you gonna be the creative one, or are we going to be the like uh achiever today you know, and whichever one I pick, the other one is going to sneak up on me and be like, "Hey, you're not totally happy with this, you know <laughs> yeah. well you know?
0: well, would you say that you're uh that you're a pilgrim? <laughs> I would. I definitely am. There we go. So I, I let's talk about that new song. You just yeah. released a new song, um, wow, four days ago. So yeah. on Friday. Yep. Um, we're, it was released on January the 10th, and it's called Pilgrim. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, everywhere you can find music, you'll find this song. So tell me a little bit about this new song and, and why it's a single and not a record. Yeah. Well, totally. Well... So, when I was
1: writing the song, I remember the day I wrote it. I'm trying to remember what I was actually thinking when I wrote it. I guess I was just thinking about like um, this whole idea of you are not you are not who you are right now, right? You are this person right. who um, is in constant motion. You know, and people get weird when I talk about this, but I'm like, if you really think about it, it's not weird. Like you are not a static thing right you were more you were much more like a stream than a rock, you know, like you are constantly changing like you're different than you were yesterday, different than the day you were before, you know, and I was just thinking about like, you know, um the world is changing and I'm changing, and I like it some and I don't like it some, you know, but I feel mm-hmm. like in that moment, I was like, you know, Lord, I'm comfortable with whoever you're making me to be. I'm totally cool with it. You know, and more than anything, I don't want to miss out because this is my biggest, which is really funny because I feel like as a musician, like, as a singer, as a songwriter, like, your job and your favorite thing in the world is to be in the moment, right? Because that's what you do with a yeah. song. Like, you you, you make a moment and you step into it. That's, like, all you do, you know? Um, I'm always either there or I'm, like, way out in the future, you know? And I, f- I feel like as I'm getting older, I realize, like, the achiever in me and this sort of like creative ambition I have, like is fun. But I also realize like it distracts me from what's happening right now. You know, I'm like, Mm. I'm like, I'm changing. I'm constantly changing. Um, and the world's changing and it's changing a lot faster than it seemed to 10 years ago. And my kids are changing. And I'm like, if, if I don't, um, if I don't pay attention, I'm going to miss some really beautiful opportunities. You know, and like I there's a John Lennon wrote a song where he says something like um, life is what happens to you (laughs) uh, when you're making other plans. Mm. Right. Life is something like that. Life is life is what happens to you while you're making other plans, you know, and I realized like i'm kind of on this journey well, which is real funny about a pilgrim is like you're thinking like i'm going to be in the future a pilgrim is like where i'm going but to me a pilgrim is more about like yeah. hey we're all walking on this journey for lack of a better term like right. i think when you get to the end of it if there is an end you know because we always think of things beginning middle and end but like maybe there's not an end maybe it just keeps going you know mm. maybe it just keeps going like um you know when we get, but when we get to the end, you know, and if we look back and think, you know, all this time, all I could think about was where I was going, and I paid no attention to what was happening on the way there. Like I think I would be sad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because really, really beautiful things are happening, like right now. You know, and so like Pilgrim is kind of on the surface a song about the future, but sort of in reality, it's a song about paying attention to right. where you are right now.
0: You know. Well, man, I. I uh, I had a chance to listen to it and dive in last night. Listen to it again today, and uh, I mean, if it's all right with you, we're gonna play a little clip of it coming yeah. out of this interview because um, I'd love people to get a taste of it. I want to just thank you for taking time to share in your heart and just being so open and and really uh, the heart when I started this podcast, I never wanted to feel you know like you know how those CCM interviews feel where it's like the same three questions and it's like <laughs> you know it's like a car wash yep. and you're just another artist to. The interviewer, and they're just another interviewer to the artist. And I want to feel like we literally just, I want to feel like we're sitting down having a coffee or a, yeah. or whatever, and, uh, and just enjoying company and getting to know each other. And so thanks for making it feel that way in this call. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, thank you
1: so much for being interested in hearing my story and my awkward, um, way of <laughs> communicating. Oh, man. Not, not but, at man, all. I've really, I've really enjoyed it though. I really have
0: enjoyed it, man. You've been really, really great. Well, so. I'm looking at the clock going, man, I, I literally have like a million other things I would have had time to chat about, but maybe that's an excuse for you to come do some, uh, some ministry up here in Canada with me sometime. Maybe we'll get you I'd up love and we'll it. do something. Yeah, that'd be amazing. All right, well, this is John Mark McMillan here on Overflow Beyond the Music. We're going to check out his new song, Pilgrim. It came out on January 10th. You can get it everywhere music is found. But I want to really encourage you, if you can, make sure you go buy it on iTunes or buy it somewhere to support what this guy's doing. I love his music. And if you get a chance to catch him live ever, go buy a ticket for a friend and and bring them out because you won't regret it. So this is Pilgrim by John Mark McMillan here on Overflow Beyond the Music.
1: Side of the grave.
0: Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode of Overflow Beyond the Music. I'm your host, Josh McCabe. That was our guest, John Mark McMillan. Make sure you go check out his new song, Pilgrim. You can find it everywhere. You can find music. Make sure that you give him a follow online. You can find him on Instagram. And his Instagram handle is just simply John Mark McMillan. So it's really easy to find him. Make sure you find us on uh, on Instagram as well. You can find us at Overflow B T M. That's where... You will find us on Instagram And you can also find me If you want to give me a follow My Instagram is just At Josh McCabe Music And that's where you can find me On the Instagram So thanks so much for hanging out with us On this latest episode Of the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast I'm your host Josh McCabe We'll see you again soon